This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. What I think we as military, when we're applying for jobs that are maybe outside of our league, like that was outside of mine, is we should stop answering the questions that are asked of us and start telling our story. And when we start telling our story, we're going to get those positions. We're going to get those jobs. We're going to move up and get the promotions because we've done things that the rest of the world cannot fathom. And when you start letting them in on you know, a small picture of what we do in the military, the doors open. And I encourage all our, our military veterans to, to tell their story and, and stop answering the questions of, you know, what did you get on your SATs? That sort of thing. Because that stuff is irrelevant in, in comparison to what we've done in the military. Story one, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 101. That is right. We have made it on the other side of episode 100, and it would not be possible without you, the listener, and all the feedback that I've gotten those first 100 episodes have fueled me, and I am positive we will get to episode 200 with your love and support and encouragement because I was just checking the iTunes reviews last night, and there is an iTunes review from the Frozen episode that I released. It was Fatherhood Friday way back in March, and how she absolutely loved how the articulation of the story connected to a veteran. And to be honest, there's so much truth within that, that if you swap out the word veteran with anybody, maybe you aren't a veteran, go find that episode. That is still today one of my favorite episodes as I was re-listening to it again last night because I was curious of what I was saying in that episode. Honestly, it was one of my favorite ones because my true self came through and it was one of the first ones that I really brought my full, I would say, colloism of putting random things together and articulating it in a way to help you get through whatever you may be going through. So go check out that Fatherhood Friday for the hidden story in Frozen. Moving forward, we got a lot of good stuff. And today we've got another good episode. Now I got to first apologize because as I went to edit this episode, I started listening and I was like, oh no, I made a classic podcaster mistake. I had my microphone set to my laptop. I think it was my laptop. There's no way to confirm, but I'm pretty sure it was set to my laptop. So my audio quality is not the normal standard that you've been hearing on the podcast, but this podcast was too good not to get out there. So I apologize for that mistake. It will be part of my checklist going forward. And honestly, I just got in the comfort zone because Zoom has always remembered it. And I now look like an idiot because I had my microphone on the back and on the wrong setting. So I apologize for that quality issue, but the quality in the conversation is still there. And so today I want to ask you a question. Have you ever tried telling your story as a veteran in a job interview or a college interview? If you said no, you're not alone. I myself had not really done a good job of telling my story in the job interviews that I've done. And that might sound funny. And it actually sounded funny when I was typing that because I've been telling my story in the podcast for so long that I honestly 
didn't articulate it because this is something many veterans, including myself, as I just admitted, get stuck in, is when we're in the job interview, that's a civilian process. And for us, we feel like we need to be a civilian. And the part that Jimmy brings in this episode is he brought his military self to a college interview and ended up getting into a college where there's only 120 slots and 5,000 people submit. So hang tight for that one because it's really, really good. Dr. Jimmy, as he knows in the online world, opens his heart and really gets into the root of what matters in our life, and that is family, his story of how his health almost prevented him from starting a family, and how he overcame to have two beautiful kids today. You're not going to want to miss this episode. So as usual, if you want to hear my biggest takeaway from hearing Dr. Jimmy's episode, hang on tight for the other side of this episode. Well, I'll be back in the mic, and I will be explaining what my biggest takeaway is. And so without further ado, let's get started with Jimmy Westbrook. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy. Hey, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited about to be here. I've been pretty excited, too, because we first met, we were introduced by Jason Valdeo. I think I probably murdered his last name. Way back in the beginning of the spring, we took a little bit of time to talk to each other, and then we got on the phone, and then you were going through a PCS to Pensacola, and so we put it on hold to get you on the podcast, but I'm super excited because we finally made it happen, and... I know we're going to drop some good gold today. So, Jimmy, go ahead and tell us a bit about your military background because you've got a really good, rich history about finding your way in the military and a little bit about your family. It, it's been tough. We haven't missing each other, but I'm glad we're – and we've had a couple of hurricanes out here in Florida, so it's good to finally connect. Yeah, I started the military uh, in college. I, I joined the ROTC, not really sure what I want to do with my life. Um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but my grades weren't good enough. I want to be an athlete, but I wasn't fast enough. And my stepdad was a pilot, so I thought, you know – being a, being a pilot would be pretty, pretty amazing. I, w- I ended up going to officer candidate school after uh, college and went to flight school, flew helicopters for 10 years, which was amazing experience. Lots of cool stories there. And I, you know, that's where I really grew up, you know, for men, especially we don't really mature, you know, at 18, we're not a mature person. And, and it took me uh, being, you know, nine years as an officer in the Navy flying helicopters to really, in my opinion, fully mature, met my wife during that time, decided to go to medical school to, you know, pursue, pursue my, uh, my passion of, you know, trying to help people best I could. A lot went into that decision. I, I had some injuries and some health problems and some setbacks in my flying career because of the injuries and health problems. So I ended up going to medical school, Florida State for four years, and then went to Camp Pendleton for my residency training. I did family medicine, just as you mentioned, just came back from Italy, where I was chief of the medical staff out there and worked in the ER. And now I'm uh, teaching flight surgeons who aren't actual surgeons. They're doctors who take care of pilots and air crew. I teach them and, and work at the uh, Naval Aeromedical Institute in the Pensacola, Florida, which is a lot of fun. On the side, uh, I write a blog researching fitness and, and wellness and trying to get people to overcome their, their health issues the way I overcame mine. That's really my passion. And along the way, you know, I mentioned I got married, two beautiful daughters, age seven and nine, who I basically just, I live for. So that's me in a nutshell, I suppose. That is quite the story. And I can't help but notice right in the very beginning, you were talking about your transition into the military and the, let's call it lack of confidence and really where you wanted to go. Any ideas looking back why you didn't have confidence in where you wanted to go other than just maybe maturity? I had inklings. I didn't, you know, my passions were things that were were not going to earn me money, you know? Uh, And and, and nothing was grabbing me. Uh, a lot of people say, you know, they, they became Navy pilots because of Top Gun. And, and I like to say I became a Navy pilot because of Office Space. You know, Office Space was a movie that came out in the 90s when I was in college. And it was about office workers and how terrible their lives were. And I said, well, you know, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I don't want to do that. 
And I, you know, I thought, you know, anything where you have to wear a helmet to work, that sounds like a pretty cool job. It's going to keep hold my attention. If I get to help people or serve my country, I'm better for it. So I, I went in just not, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing what I didn't want to do. I love flying, but I wasn't the type of pilot who, who wanted to fly every day. Some of these guys want to fly on their weekends. I wanted to do you know, anything but. So I'm glad I did that, but it wasn't my calling the way I think medicine has been my calling. When you were growing up, your, you mentioned your stepdad. Did you have a relationship with your biological dad? Yeah. He's always lived uh, not in the same areas as I have, but um, he's a <clears throat> positive influence in my life and a good guy. Did you feel like you were being led at all when you were growing up? Like, was Did you feel like there was a future that he was helping you exposed to, or was it still kind of like up to you to figure it out? Maybe like he was maybe a man of few words, but followed my example and you got to try to figure out the code. Well, I, my stepdad didn't, uh, you know, trying to get me to go to the military. He I think he took me to a recruiter's office one time because he could tell I was lost and, and, I, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But the recruiter wasn't selling what I wanted to buy at that point. And so I, I kind of rejected that out of, you know, as a rebellion sort of thing. And then I had to come to it on my own. And I'm certainly glad I did. So what we often don't talk about when we transition out of the military is the first transition. And it sounds like when you finally found where you were going, like you had a lot of trial and error. What's something from that process that you wouldn't imagine not knowing or learning about? Because many people don't find the gratitude and their failures are getting lost. And I'm curious of what gratitude you have found looking back that like how getting lost and finding your way to where you are now was the only way that you would have found what you're looking for. Well, I think that's a great point. And so oftentimes like in my life, I've found, you know, this major disappointment that ends up, you know, looking back being the best thing that ever happened to me. For instance, I blew out my knee when I was a, a junior pilot about to go on my second deployment, blew it out pretty bad, had to have a couple of surgeries. But because I did miss that deployment, which was so devastating to me, and it negatively affected my my career going forward, it, it also led me to medicine. You know, I, I was exposed to the, the healthcare process and it rekindled my passion for that. I ended up meeting my wife because I wasn't on that deployment, probably. And it, it changed the direction of my life, you know, 180 degrees. And at the time it was, you know, if you asked me what was the worst thing that happened to me, that was the worst thing, but it was actually the best thing. And so I think we think life comes at us and we just kind of take it as it comes. And in retrospect, I wish I wasn't so hung up on, on the disappointment and just looked for the next step and the next best move. Did you blow your knee out as like in physical training or what did you actually, what was the activity? Yeah, it was, well, it was squadron PT, but it was, we were playing basketball. And then... Do you ever write a thank you letter to the guy that forced you to blow out your knee? I should have. I should have done that. He changed my life. That's for sure. And it, it's so difficult. Like in your case, like nobody died, but in harder situations where people die and you lose your friends and you go to war and you see shit that you, you can't unsee, it takes a long time for us to see the gratitude in that. But there is a moment in your life and I'm convinced it's there for everyone. Sometimes it just takes longer for us to see it and have it happen. But you experience a moment where you're able to be someone for someone or maybe as being someone for yourself. And you wouldn't have been able to be that person unless that happened to you. And as devastating as that is, really how you get through a lot of the tragedy that does happen to military dads that gets us hung up on service and different questions like, why did I live and he died? Like, look backwards. Do you reach that point where you can finally see the gratitude that this is how it helped me become who I am today, even though it's built around travesty, like that's where you really can start to reconnect with your family. Because then if you're always chasing something in your career or running from that feeling of like making sure I never feel that again, you can't feel the things at home while you're avoiding feeling things like 
why did I end up the way I did? And why did I end up here as a doctor versus out there being a fighter pilot? I totally agree. And, you know, and, and to add to that point, you know, being broken and then having the subsequent health problems I had, you know, my job now, I take care of veterans a lot of times, you know, who, who are broken, physical and mental issues. And I can tell them, you know, my story of, of overcoming, you know, injury, you know, not on the battlefield, although, you know, most veterans injuries I take care of are not battlefield wounds either, but they get broken. And, and I can show them the, the way to get back to health to get better. And so in many ways, that injury was a blessing to me. You know, I, I continue to, uh, to learn from it and learn from the healing process. You know, my brain always goes in weird ways and it just went in a weird way. So I got to let it out of the bag of where it went. So I'm a huge, massive NCIS fan. I love the chemistry on that show. I love the mysteriousness of Gibbs. I love his integrity, the way he lives his life. And a lot of it, I just finally have been binge watching most of it through COVID or this whole year I've been catching up. So I've completed all the seasons that are available. And Gibbs' story of going through his own story of losing his wife is a major part of the story. And there is a line in that story that I remember like watching it two months ago. And so I don't think this is mine or I just remembered it in this exact moment that one man's story is another man's door. And there's an episode that Gibbs shares his story with a, I believe a Marine sniper and who is afraid of like being around his daughter for a sign of weakness. And Gibbs' story helps the other guy create a door to walk through. And that's what you're doing, Jimmy, when you, even though your story isn't anything like maybe even relatable, just another man's story creates another man's door. I think it's relatable on different levels for me. You know, if, if you get a little more in depth into my story and, and some of the things I share with, with my, my veteran patients are things they often don't want to talk about, but they're having, they're having similar experiences to what I experienced with my injury is, you know, when you're immobilized, you can't, you're injured. What happens to your testosterone level? You know, what happens to your, you know, what happens to your sex drive? What happens to your erections? And nobody ever wants to talk to people about that after, you know, after injury. Well, I've experienced that and it's super unpleasant. And, you know, how do you, how do you get back to being the man you were, you know, if you know, carry groceries in, you know, from the car, you know, for your wife or pick your kids up, you know, and, and talking to you know some of my patients about those type of things. And, and in some cases, you know, helping them with, you know, some of those issues, you know, it can do wonders for their quality of life and, and let them know that they're not, you know, there's not something wrong with them, you know, because they're going through this. In fact, we all go through this as part of our, you know, the injury process or being hurt. Yeah. I think it's been helpful on many levels. And there's so much bullshit wrapped around military, the Marine Corps, every branch of service leaves us with the default programming, but they never turn, tell us where the kill switch is to turn it off. Because there's so much programmed into us of being the perfect person in uniform, but even the Marine, like Marines are programmed to be a superhero in that uniform and that we embody something greater than ourselves. When you aren't able to even maybe stand up in that uniform, maybe you're in a wheelchair, all of that just messes with your identity. Did you suffer with an identity type refiguring out who you were in your story? Yeah, absolutely. I, you, know, you have this vision of yourself and mine was, you know, to be it was strong and, and, you know, pretty athletic and active. And then, and all of a sudden when I couldn't do that, what I turned to, you know, I turned to the wrong foods. I turned to drinking too much. I turned to, you know, playing video games till four in the morning and that, you know, those type of things will snowball, you know, you'll go into depression. Um, if you're not sleeping enough, you're not eating the right things, you'll get heavier. And then I'm the super unhealthy guy. I'm on multiple blood pressure medications. Uh, my skin is terrible because I have, I have psoriasis. It's flaring. I can barely get an erection. And I'm married now and we want to have kids and it's, it's a struggle. It's not just a struggle for me. My, my wife had some issues too. It was when my daughter was born and I was probably the peak of my unhealthiness. Uh, I gained 30 
35 pounds during her pregnancy, just from sympathy, weight gain and hormones, I suppose. Yeah, and I realized yeah, I had to do something, right. I had to do something for this, for my daughter. So I could be, you know, a healthy, active dad and be, be alive when she graduates from high school. And I, you know, I want to take her golfing when, when she's a grandmother, I want to, I want to, I want to be there for the, the whole of her life and not, not ever have to rely on her to take care of me. So I just started researching for health and wellness things. And because whatever I was doing was wrong. And, uh, and, and that's been my, my passion ever since. Um, like what well, you illuminated there and it's the lie that we tell ourselves every day that we're the only ones suffering this problem. And uh, there are no solutions to what we feel because we can't point our finger at a feeling it's inside of our head between our two ears. But what you just pointed there, it, and I, I've learned it within business, my life, my podcast, Almost every problem has been solved somewhere in the world. You just either need to know the right word to accept into Google, or you need to know the right person, the right journey that someone's already crossed that bridge, which is why I talk so much about tribes, because that's why you need a wide network of people, because you're going to have a wide network of problems in your life. And the more people that you know, the faster you can shortcut those lessons. Like a friend like you and someone in your life, like, hey, I know Jimmy, he just went through this health journey. And I just put on 30 pounds from my wife being pregnant. Now I know someone that can help me get me through this. Like that's such a huge awakening moment that many veterans stay in default mode of, ah, there's no solutions to what my problem is. So I might as well just keep my head down and keep on keeping on. No, I totally agree. You know, I think one of the problems though is why should it take me years and years of research as a doctor to figure out the right things to do? You know, I think we've, we're, we're fed so much BS from mainstream media about what to eat you know, even mainstream physicians, most doctors aren't even trained in nutrition. Absolutely. I, all these doctors I work with say, just eat less and exercise more. Well, if it was that simple, everybody be thin. We wouldn't have obesity epidemic. And oh, by the way, when you eat less, you get more tired. Your metabolism slows down. When you exercise more, you, you get more tired and you get hungrier. It's, I mean, that's a recipe for failure. And that's what doctors say every day. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so what, what's frustrating to me is how much work went into me figuring out the right things to do. And that's kind of the point of what, you know, me spreading this message of, uh, of health is, is not just let's everyone get off the couch. It's there's specific things to do that we've been told are wrong, that, that are right and, and vice versa and trying to undo some of that um, bad information out there. What you're speaking to is I've heard it on many different other podcasts from women talking about just the women mental health crisis to the VA and the veteran health crisis. So much of many doctors, they're trained that when a problem comes in, that there must be something in the pill cabinet to solve this problem. And many people will get issued, but veteran or not veteran, this is a complete mental health all over. Many people will get issued an antidepressant when the doctor will never ask them what they're eating or how they're sleeping, because those two things are huge impacts on your mental health, but they'll just issue a pill because that's how they were trained to solve a problem. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, you know, unless you're maximizing your diet, you're exercising regularly, you're getting enough sun, you're sleeping well, and you're, you know, you're giving yourself like de-stress things like yoga or mindfulness and surrounding yourself with positivity. There's no reason to give anyone a pill. You know, when they look at these pill, the, these uh, drug company studies, drug company sponsored studies of antidepressants, they barely beat placebo. Those are the ones they publish. What they don't tell you is they do a lot of studies where they don't beat placebo and those do not get published. It's not even public information. But when you combine the, all that data, they're equal to placebo, essentially. The bad news is they come with lots of side effects, and those side effects you know, can, can be terrible. And uh, so unless, you know, I'm not saying they don't work for some people, but I'm just saying 
like you said, if you don't maximize your lifestyle things, there's no there's no reason to start an antidepressant. Obviously, follow your doctor's advice. Everybody's different, but you got to maximize those 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 lifestyle things first. Anytime someone runs into me with like a back problem or like their body is aching, I must always tell them like start googling alternative medicines because that's like one of the most classic examples. There are so many alternatives to. I mean, there's people that I know that have been diagnosed that like, you'll never run again because your spine is so jacked and they do marathons. Like once you know, those types of people exist, you then start Googling, how did they do it? And, but you don't know that because most people won't tell you that there's alternatives than just going to the urgent care and getting whatever they prescribe. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that you blog about on your blog? What are some of the, your favorite things to talk about? talk a lot about sleep. I've recently fixed my sleeping habits three or four years ago. I, I thought I was like having can't I had cancer or something because I couldn't ever get any energy and I was downing caffeine at an alarming rate and I was you know a little bit depressed. Fixed that with really optimizing my sleep. So I've, I've blogged about that a lot. You know, nutrition obviously, but not I don't go into too much detail about you know you got to eat you know this many grams of carbs or this many grams of fat. It's more broad strokes, avoiding processed foods. Talked about COVID a little bit, like my last few posts, and then fasting too. I think we've been always been told eat six small meals a day, you know, constantly grazing. Well, that's completely fast backwards. We should be, you know, eating less, and you know, it's okay to have a bigger meal, you know, once or twice a day. But this six meal a day business is the recipe for obesity. And so I kind of, you know, I, I try to keep it to things that are a little more controversial, a little more things you haven't heard from public service announcements, and I keep the articles very brief enough. If you got to take a poop. You can go sit on the toilet. You can read one of my articles, be done and, and try, to, try to keep it pretty brief. I thought you were going to do an article there on a squatty potty. That's, a, that's an amazing product, by the way. I, I do appreciate that. True story. Working. Anybody out there listening, Google squatty potty and it's a real deal. <laughs> it's, it's got, they've got amazing commercials too, by the way, if you haven't seen them. Are they on par with the Charmin commercials? Enjoy the go. They're even better. They've got a unicorn pooping rainbow sherbet on the, on the squatty potty uh, commercials. They're, they're, they're must, must Google on YouTube. Nice. I'll definitely check that out after this interview. I want to go maybe a little bit deeper in the health category. One thing that I know I struggle with as a stay-at-home dad providing for my family and cooking dinners is trying to find the right balance with your kids. So how do you balance knowing what's right and wrong and balancing with what your kids are going to eat? Yeah, that's a great question. And I I think a lot of people who who are really focused on nutrition probably take a little too far with their kids. You know, so with my kids, you know, we all eat till we're hungry. We don't measure, we don't, we don't calorie count. We don't measure, you know, grams of carbs, but what we do at the shop, at the supermarket is we bring home really, you know, healthy stuff. And then, and then we cook that and we often cook it as a family. Like my oldest will often help me prepare the meals. We just dig in and eat as much as we want. And I think I'm not only am I teaching, but I'm, I'm modeling a a, a healthy relationship with food. So one thing that I struggle with is because my kids are definitely a PB and J family where it's almost always default to PB&J. And we definitely have some good threads of eating healthy. Like my kids will recognize maybe when they've had too much junk food and they're like, I want a healthy snack or they'll argue for a healthy snack when they want a snack. And like this morning they had yogurt for, for breakfast and they had granola in it and we thought fruit and they were talking about how healthy it was. So I feel like sometimes I'm winning just by them being conscious and aware, even though they default to PB&Js, they still have an awareness of what's healthy and what's not what are some of the, the tidbits that you want a dad, maybe at the bottom, that still hasn't struggled how to get their kids away from processed chicken nuggets and all this different stuff, or just being a short order cook, which sometimes I can feel that too at night, trying to get dinner or making a dinner that they can feel. What are some of the steps to 
get to a point where you can actually talk about eating healthy and have a conversation? Well, a couple of my tips, you know, one is I try to limit pre-meal snacking. So if, if you can keep them from snacking before the meal, these kids aren't going to starve to death, right? I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. So they come. <laughs> they'll try to convince you that they will. They will. And they might whine, but they'll come to the dinner table with a little more hunger, which will help me, you know, get a new food down, you know, down into them. Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy involving them in the cooking process. Like, Oh, do you want carrots in this? Or do you want peas or, you know, letting them make some choices, but giving them two healthy options. Definitely. I still feed my kids dessert, but I use dessert as a carrot to get through the healthy meal. And then finally, you know, I've got one picky eater, the youngest, and she's, you know, wants to eat PBJ and that sort of thing. I'll, you know, put her dinner out in front of her and I won't give her too much. But if she doesn't eat it, that's her, that's going to be her next meal, you know, whether it's going to be, you know, dinner or we'll put it in the fridge and that'll be her breakfast. And, and she's gotten, you know, gotten used to that. And, and I'm not asking her to eat, you know, a whole huge plate of food. It's just, just want enough to get her to try it. They said, they did a study that said for savory, you know, healthy foods, it takes six or seven tries on average per kid before they start liking something in the, in the healthy realm. So I keep trying. And it's a noble goal. And like, because ultimately they're going to be what they're going to be and they're going to do what they're going to do. And some of it is so intertwined with like, I feel like it's to a point where I almost shoot myself to death because I, I know that they should be doing better. And so then I internalize the battle and like beat myself up when they're not eating right. But there's a lot of grace that goes on when you're feeding your kids and you have to, I always like to make sure in my head I'm picking the right battle at the right moment because you can't win all the battles and you can't win the entire war. You're just going to win these little skirmishes. And that's often what I feel like sometimes is like, just keep talking about it. Keep maybe throwing a piece of broccoli on the plate and making them try it. Or a lot of times we just call it a no thank you bite. Like in order to do this, you got to have this, try this. And it's interesting because out of all of that, like one, two things that no matter what happens, I consider this a win. My youngest daughter and my son absolutely love salads. Like they'll, my, my youngest daughter when I'm home with her, she probably has salad three or four times a week. Like she just loves a salad. Like, and that's always her default. Like, Hey daddy, I want a salad. And so like, no matter what else happens in the day, I was like, yes, I wanted it. Cause my daughter loved having a salad. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't, we don't count those wins very good because we're always beating ourselves up as dead. So like, that's something very important to just have mental awareness. Say, did I get a little small win in celebrating it? Even if maybe you are winning, losing the larger war, like your daughter, my four-year-old daughter eating a salad, like that's not every daughter in four years old. Absolutely. But I, I agree about picking your battles and I try to pick my battle is the supermarket. So trying to bring home healthy foods, you know, if they're going to eat sal- uh, cereal, they have op- options, but they're healthy options, you know, relatively healthy options. And it's the same with us. You know, I think if you keep your home, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, you keep your home full of temptation, you know, eventually your willpower is going to run out. And so I don't make it too hard on myself in that respect. One thing I want to switch to is, so you just came back from Italy, which every person, I've never been to Italy. I've only been to Prague. But every person that's been to Italy absolutely fell in love with it. And I wanted to know, how do you think going to Italy and being stationed there as a family has influenced how maybe your daughters see the world and how they see themselves growing up? And what impact do you think exposing them as a younger life like that into a foreign country like that? Yeah, I think it was an amazing experience for them um, and, and me. Um, I think they, they got to, you know, recognize from an early age that there's people different from Americans and there's completely different cultures and, and, and the cultures aren't better or worse. They're just different from us. And it gave them a perspective. My youngest, I went to an Italian school, uh, and and they only spoke Italian there. So she, she picked up a lot of Italian 
from, you know, everything is different there from, from the food and, and the way they, you know, the way they eat to, you know, how they interact. And it was just, I think just an amazing experience for my kids to, you know, to get out of their comfort zone. And, and, and since coming back to the States, they're, I think they're way more outgoing. They're way more adventurous because intimidating for a kid to go up to another kid who's not only not, not even the, they know, but speaks a different language in a different country and, and make friends. And so now I think they have that, you know, increased confidence and, to do that. So I couldn't speak more highly about it. And what you, you're talking there. And the reason why I went there is because most military dads do not credit. And maybe we didn't get they, the kids didn't get a chance to live overseas. Maybe they lived in the United States in the military the entire time, or maybe they like my kids, I've never had a family in the military, but our depth, like most military people have seen the world at some little small, most people don't stay in the United States the entire time. Like that exposure to see the world differently like that's such a huge gift that we can teach our kids, whether we get to expose them directly, like in your case, or we just get to speak to our stories and help them understand and build empathy towards people they might not initially understand. You talk about all the race things that we're talking about in the United States, like military dads are perfectly set up to help teach the next generation of our kids the ability to understand and empathize with people that they don't yet get and help them understand how to build a bridge of understanding. So I think, I think it, you know, it also taught my kids to love America, you know, and America is not a perfect place by any means, but you see these amazing places like Italy and you, and you see those on postcards, but you also see kind of the underbelly, you know, things that are not so good about, about other cultures. And you, and you really appreciate, you know, and love coming home as much as you loved visiting. And like, there's a statistic that I've repeated a lot that 20% of Americans have a passport and only 10% of Americans use it. And like that, deep love of appreciation. I mean, a lot of Americans are patriotic, but they don't really know why they're patriotic. They're really only patriotic because they were told to, or they feel like they should be patriotic. But I remember going to the Philippines when I was, I did a month long deployment to the Philippines. And when you see poverty like that, when you see a kid urinating on the street as you're driving by in a tour bus on your way to go check something out, like that never leaves an impression, stops leaving an impression on you of what you have and what you're actually out there doing fighting for as a veteran in many cases is that, that, that freedom to feel and to hopefully give that freedom to other people as well in many cases. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an amazing perspective you gain from some travel. Has your daughter started talking about it and reflecting on their experience or unpacking anything differently since being back in the States? Yeah, I think, you know, I think they, they're blown away by how their classmates cannot really comprehend where, where they were and, and what they did. You know, they try to explain it to their teacher or their classmates and, it's just, it's so different. If you haven't been there, um, especially as a nine-year-old, then you're, it's just not something they can understand. And then their, their friends asking questions like, you know, what was it, were the Walmarts different there? And like, uh, yeah, there, there weren't any Walmarts, you know, but they, 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 the kids here just can't quite, you know, pull it off. That reminds me of a story. Uh, I had Ashley Buggy on the podcast back in last summer. And she told the story because she was actually in Europe on vacation with her, with her family. And her husband had died in a scuba diving accident. So she was with three young kids in Europe. She had brought a close friend to help with the kids while she was over there. And they had just visited Auschwitz the day before. I think her daughter was like five, the oldest at the time. So taking like your daughter to, to Auschwitz at the time, like just, I can't even really fathom that even at my kids being nine, like that still seems overwhelming, but they had just visited Anne Frank earlier in the week. And person there, his daughter realized like, they connected that Anne Frank was also here. Like they already started figuring things out at five. And then it hit me 
Can you imagine when that kid's in the States or a classroom and they start learning about that and he raises, she raises his hand and says, I was there. That doesn't happen. And can you imagine how like the story and the impact that that kid can have because we exposed them to something that many people don't get a view of? Like that just gets me more excited to travel and expose my, my kids to more of the world because the more people understand the world, like the more empathy they can understand for it. But more importantly, this is what I think as military dads, we missed the mark on is when you expose your kids to more of life, they figure out how they fit into life. And you can't figure out from 12 years in the same town, going to the same school, that this is how I fit into the world. And this is how my gifts are uniquely designed to help make the world a better place. But when you expose them to ways that most people don't actually get, you start slowly putting the puzzle together of how they were put on this earth to actually make that impact. And because if you've raised them to have courage and confidence, they'll go out in the world generally and start doing it. I couldn't agree more. You know, I was raised in a military family and we were overseas and and it was, you know, it was life changing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I'm, I'm so grateful to be able to take my kids and, and give them that experience as well. It's, I have not done it, but we, we were just talking about this yesterday because my, we went to Florida last summer for a vacation and my youngest daughter, who's four, only thinks that Florida exists. Like she thinks Wisconsin exists in Florida because she's always wanted to go back to Florida. And she only wants to go back to Florida because there's a pool at the hotel. So she thinks we have to go all the way back to Florida to go to this great pool, even though pools exist all over. She doesn't have that context yet. And we were talking about all the other places we were going to go. And I was joking and I was naming off all 50 states because I really want to go to all 50 states. Like that would be something amazing. And then go outside the world as well. And like, I want them to get excited about leaving. And that's not something many people gift their kids or even give them the courage to leave. Many kids even myself, I remember going, I, was, I wasn't a part of a military family. My, my, I had some grandparents that were in the, in the war, but that was it. My dad didn't serve, and I was the first colloid to have a passport, to leave the country, to go overseas. And like, I had to kind of go out on my own to figure out that feeling because I wasn't necessarily like gifted. Like, hey, go out and do all this stuff. I had to go out and be like, oh, I'm super. I didn't have my first Chinese till I was in Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Like I just lived, like I was grew up on a farm. We didn't go out and get Chinese. That wasn't something that we commonly did. So I didn't get exposed to that. And I had a whole bunch of life to catch up on when I did get out of the world. So let's maybe switch a little bit of pivot there. Throughout all this time, I can only imagine the support that you've received from your wife. What's some of the, the things that you've done to make sure that you still have a marriage through all the trials and tribulations that you've gone through? Because being a military spouse isn't easy. Being a military husband isn't easy and trying to balance coming home, leaving, coming home, leaving, changing careers, trying to feel significant, going through what you talked about with your health issues. So what are some of the things that you maybe want to share with the military audience of what you learned in your marriage to help make sure that you get to the other side and can have a successful marriage? Well, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a challenge. Any, anybody in the military knows that it can be a huge challenge. And, and residency after, uh, after medical school was especially challenging, working 90-hour weeks, two small children. I think that was probably you know, the most challenging of, of, our, of our marriage. And I think the key for me, my wife works like crazy. She works like crazy at the house. She works like crazy with that kids. And just saying thank you. you know, I think that seems like such an easy thing, such a silly thing to do. Or not silly, but you know, silly, so silly. It's easy, so easy. It's silly. Just to show her that she's as valued. Her work is valued as mine. It's just different. That's number one. And number two is she, she's had a passion for photography. And I think um, throughout um, our marriage, I've 
I've done my best to support her the way she supported me in my medicine career. I've, I've tried to support her in her, her photography, whether it makes us money or not. It, it's been a side business at times to, to support her passions. So she has an identity outside the home. I think those are my, my, my two keys for keeping a marriage going. What do you think? I never asked this question, so I'm interested to see what comes of the answer. What do you think was the hardest lesson that took you like, God, that took me way too long to figure out? Like it was just like beating a two by four against my head to get this lesson inside you. Like as far as marriage goes? Yeah. Like that just like, man, that took way too much effort to learn that lesson. Well, I, I think I'm a person who always wants to be right. And I think, you know, if I would just have told my younger self, just say, you know, just admit that you're wrong and move on and apologize instead of dragging it out. And and you know and and causing a a thirty minute argument into a day long argument or a two day long argument, I, I really wish I had learned that lesson a lot earlier. I had to learn that lesson the hard way, and luckily I had a friend that gave me some brilliant advice, difficult advice to live by, but definitely noble enough to pursue. And that when you think of loving your wife, you can't love her for who she is right now if you're trying to be right. So you can't love her and be right at the same time. And so the wisdom is always choose love because being right doesn't fucking matter. And it's going to have no consequences on the next day, because as long as you love her, that's what's going to feel going forward. And no one's going to care whether you're right on this day. And you're not even going to remember what you're arguing about. I mean, that's what a lot of people say when they have a big giant argument. We don't even remember why it started. And like, that's all the more reason it should never have happened. <laughs> I, I called my dad one time and I, you know, I told him my whole story. At, we were in a fight and he goes, well, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? I'm like, well, I think I want to be happy. He goes, okay, well, then just forget about being right and just move on. And I think that's good advice. Yeah, I, I really like that advice. Have you considered potentially swapping roles? And once your military service is done, that you support the kids and she entered the workforce? Well, yes. And, uh, you know, some of the telemedicine things I'm pursuing and, and then, you know, with my writing, I can do from home, which is exciting. Um, I'm, I've been in the Navy 20 years now, so I can retire coming, you know, coming soon. And I, and I may and, uh, and and do that. And then any work I do on the side of the emergency department, you know, I, I do only very sparingly so I could do a, a shift here and there and she could cover me, that sort of thing. And that'd be something I'd really, I'd really like to do. And you can kind of start, I mean, think of even just the dad adventures that you can kind of repay all the time that you had to take away from your family. Because you often want to think of your family time as a credit card. And especially as a military dad, you're going to borrow a lot from that credit card. You got to pay it back with interest because eventually that credit card could go bankrupt and you never know when. And I just had um, Lacey Langford on, who's a military money expert, and she gave some advice that I hadn't heard said before. That as a military dad, you want to actually prepare for that tomorrow you could actually get a piece of paper that says your military service is over. And you want to be prepared that don't bank on 20. You need to be ready that if it's over tomorrow. But then more importantly, if something happened to you, don't leave your wife completely unable to survive and make a living on her own. Like if you've, if she's been the one that's taking care of everything and really doesn't have the identity like you've talked about, you're just setting your wife up for this huge battle within herself to try to survive without the person that she loved in her life anymore. And that mindset isn't something that I heard here repeated a lot. And so I've always, I've, I've really liked that advice. And now I'm going to start repeating it more because I think that's something military dads need to be aware of. It's are you setting your wife up for success in the event that something did happen to you? Because you can't just contextually live in the present when you're in the military. Like any moment in the future could change. And while you're shooting for 20, you could sprain your ankle tomorrow and they could say you're gone and you never know. I like that. And, you know, and as you know, we, we have a more dangerous job than most. And so there's always, you know, the possibility that, you know, you could not come home from a flight sometime and, and you know, you don't want to leave, leave the family, you know, high and dry without, without means to support. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's a kind of a morbid thought, but that's where you, your mind needs to be if you really want to protect and provide for your family is you need to think long-term. You need to think about how, what's the best way to love your wife if you're no longer here and to make sure that she has a space to know who she is. Like that's something huge that I know military spouses struggle with, but luckily the military spouse from my research and my connecting the military community, they're crushing it when they get connected because they just, they start these businesses, they network like crazy, they shortcut all the lessons. There's a huge pile of lessons that military dads need to start picking up on that the military spouses have been doing probably for the last decade that I didn't even know about. But there is so much of that process of finding their identity. So I'm glad to hear that you're helping your wife figure out who she is and making sure that she knows that she's more than just being a stay-at-home mom, that she knows who he is, she knows whatever she likes. And if something did happen, she'd know where she'd want to go start pursuing something maybe. Well, absolutely, Ben. And that, that leads me to a, a, a story I want to tell real briefly about um, military and transitioning and getting jobs. When I was trying to go to medical school, I was applying um, and I was getting rejected by just about every medical school because my grades weren't great. My test scores were average at best. The school I ended up applying to last was Florida State. They had 5,000 applicants for 120 spots. And I just wrote them a letter saying, hey, listen, I'm a military guy. I know I'm not a real legitimate candidate. I just want to interview just for practice. Just please just give me just give me an interview and I understand that you won't accept me. And they did. And so I showed up and the, the, the dean of admissions prefaces the interview with, you're not going to get admitted. You will not be accepted here, but you know, we want to honor your request of you know an interview. And so he starts detailing, he starts going through my record and asking me why I got this D in Greek and Roman mythology or and these, and these things that happened in the 90s, which was you know 12 years before, 10 years before, um, when I was a college student. And I said, you know, I, I was a college student then, I'm a, I'm a different person now. You know, I kept making these excuses on and on with more and more examples of why I wasn't going to get in. And then finally, I just said, Do you want to see my helicopter? He says, excuse me? I said, do you want to see my helicopter? He said, do you, you have a helicopter? He goes, yeah, I, I flew my helicopter. He goes, I, I flew on a cross country in my helicopter to, to the interview. He said, yeah, I want to see your helicopter. And so we got in his car and we drove and checked out my SH-60 Foxtrot. He got to sit in it, put his helmet on it, put his helmet on. I snapped some pictures of him. Two weeks later, I got a call. I was accepted to their medical school. And, and the point is that what I think we as military when we're applying for jobs that are maybe outside of our league, like that was outside of my, my, my league is we should stop asking the, answering the questions that are asked of us and start telling our story. And when we start telling our story, we're going to get those positions. We're going to get those jobs. We're going to move up and get the promotions because we've done things that the rest of the world cannot fathom. And, and when you start letting, letting them in on a piece, uh, you know, a small picture of what we do in the military door doors open. And I, I, I encourage all our, our, our military veterans to to tell their story and 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 stop answering the questions of you know what'd you get on your SATs that sort of thing because that stuff is irrelevant when in 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 comparison to what we've done in the military. I love that because it applies to dad, it applies to life. Like most veterans suck at telling their story. One, because we don't feel comfortable even repeating it. Two, we'd have to acknowledge a lot of shit for our story to be true, and we're not ready to do that probably. And what I've loved about podcasting is I've been able to step more into my story. I found different ways to tell the same story, multiple different ways. And you just get comfortable repeating it and you get doing it shorter and you get better at selling. Like there's a huge market of information out there called story selling. And that is essentially how to take your story and use it in a compelling way to convince someone to buy from you without ever using the word selling, without ever actually making a pitch. They're saying like, hey, come buy from me. Like there's never a sales feeling when you do it through story. So that's great advice because when you learn how to do that in that particular way, the world can open up in a massive way because 
some of the best brands that you probably don't even know are already using story selling. Like it's just the basics of a Disney movie, just using it in your own way in your own story. And like you can move a mountain with the right story video. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, I've absolutely loved this conversation because we've really gone in all the different categories of being a military dad. We touched on the marriage. We touched on traveling internationally. We talked about on trying to find your own curiosity, which we even unpacked a little bit of your initial transition which a lot of people get stuck on. And I always say, you got to go to your first transition to really figure out your second transition, which isn't advice most people get. But that first transition, you really had a lot of goals, objectives that either you met or you didn't meet. And you need to go back there to do an analysis to figure out where you want to go on the second transition. So I've really enjoyed our interview. And I want to give you a chance. If you've got a parting piece of advice, whether it be a problem that you've solved and you want to give out the solution, whatever it may be that you want every military dad to make sure they've gotten from this episode, what is that advice you want to share with us today? Yeah, I think I think the advice is, you know, if you're in an emergency situation, you know, you put your oxygen mask on yourself first and and you start taking care of yourself both physically and, and mentally. And only then, you know, can we can we be a really effective parent and, and, and husband and, and person. There's a study from Freakonomics, the book about economics that talks about, you know, successful children and and good and how to raise good children. And they did all these metrics of, you know, how many books were in your house? You know, what, you know, were there two parents? Was there one parent? Did they have a lot of money or did they not? And the one metric they found, they couldn't find a single metric. They just found that there's a correlation where good people raise good children. And they did, did so not by any particular tricks, but by just being good people. And we can't do that unless we take our, care of ourselves when we take care of ourselves, we model healthy behaviors for our children. You know, it, it's no good to eat McDonald's and tell your children to eat kale. You have to eat the kale to get your children on board. And so I think that that would be my number number one advice uh, to the military uh, dad's population out there. Um, because I think too often we sacrifice ourselves, you know, for the, for the good of our children. And we, we do everything we can. But when we do that, and we sacrifice ourselves. Sometimes we're not necessarily modeling the best best behavior, or the most healthy behaviors. Yeah, we we just kind of like write our own life off. Like, oh yeah, we're already giving up on ourselves, and we'll make sure our kids have a better future. But there's a ceiling on how much of that future can actually be because they measure their life against their father and how much did he ask from his life. So if you set the bar low, they're going to set the bar low, and maybe even possibly rubber band back to your basement when you're 26. So you've always got that to worry about as well when you don't set the bar very high. Precisely. I love that advice. And it was recently given on a episode. I can't think of the uh, exact episode right now, but he's, he's summed up a similar study that said the best predictor of a good kid is one who just knows that he's loved. And like that feeling that knowing that their parents love them like that out of all the things, no matter what happens, there's going to be high and lows, but the constant is just making sure that they're loved. And the best way to love a child is loving yourself. Cause when you love yourself, you can give it freely and you just start making the life happen around you, whether you're trying to or not, it just happens kind of magically in this way it's supposed to unfold. Absolutely. Couldn't so if people more. want to find more about you, Jimmy, where's the best place to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah. Well, I have a, I have a blog site that I write quite a bit in. Um, it's a, you know, like I said, a funny um, science-based read. Um, it's aimed at veterans. It has a male focus, although I do have a lot of female followers. Um, it's drjimmy.com. And it, you, there's a blueprints there on how to get healthy, whether you're trying to lose weight or get better sleep or de-stress um, written from kind of a, a dad's p- point of view. And uh, I encourage people to sign up for my newsletter and also sign up for my email uh, alerts for my new. And uh, you can also find me at Dr. Jimmy Westbrook on Instagram. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, I really appreciate your time. You're sharing your start and your, your story and your heart because 
both of those really, I know, impacted a lot of dads. And when we share our heart, we allow, just like we came up with, when one man's door becomes another man's door. And I'm positive that a few dads walk through that door because you opened them up today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Ben. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for checking out this episode with Dr. Jimmy Westbrook because this episode had so many different categories of life and military life that we went into. For me, the big reminder, and this was a lesson I've already kind of had brought to my life through the podcast, but it's one of those that like a lot of lessons in life, they kind of get suppressed with all the noise of what's going on in life and everything else that goes on. So for me, the big reminder for me was it really got me more and more excited that in a post-corona world of taking my kids to see them in other or take them to other places in the world. I reminded of that episode way back with Ashley Buggy about traveling to Auschwitz and also him talking about being in Italy and how his kids has already articulating and learning Italian in a school. Like I can't imagine how learning Italian language at such a young age is going to have an influence and in how she sees the world, how she's more empathetic as a person and how much she more she asks of life and actually gets there and delivers. So Jimmy's episode really gave me that reminder to really make sure that we're giving our kids an outside-of-the-box view of life and that, as I've said in the podcast, you can't really expect your kids to know what they want to do if they've never been outside the box. If they've been in the box, and I mean the box of going to work, going to school for five days a week, you have summer, and there's not much new introduced, they're not going to have a wide enough view of the American dream to really understand where they fit into it. And it's been my experience with this podcast and my dream to be able to expose my kids to different views of life and avenues, because that's how you give them depth. And if someone has depth, a child, they can grow up and see how the world is different, but yet we're all really the same. So that was my big takeaway. And I just want to continue to thank you, for the listener. Again, I can't tell you how much I love and appreciate you listening to this episode. Again, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate every time you guys listen and share the podcast because when you share the podcast, you're not just helping one dad, you're helping another dad find a resource that can help him get through maybe what he's never been able to get through. And this could be the one episode or the one podcast or the one Fatherhood Friday that in his mind, he takes that first breath. Now, I say that ironically because we all breathe, but if you've had something on your chest, you know that you don't often take that deep breath because you're dealing short breaths because you're having a hard time keeping this on your chest. And when you get that off your chest, you can take that breath. And there's different moments in my life through 2020 that I've had that moment where I'm like, gosh, I feel like I can breathe now. And so if you share this podcast with someone, if you've gotten value out of this episode or out of any episode, please share the episode with and the podcast with a friend who needs it. Because like I said, it could be that one moment where they get a chance to breathe and they get that hope that tomorrow can be better, and the dreams that they have to be a better dad can come and be a reality. So like always, I hope you have an amazing week, and this week is Thanksgiving, so I hope you have an amazing Thanksgiving with family, whatever it may look like, whether you are going to visit family, whether you are isolating in your home, whatever it may be, I have so much to be grateful for in 2020. You, the listener, my family, my health, everything that's gone through and happened, and so I wish nothing but the best for you on this happy Thanksgiving week. And I will talk to you guys again on Friday.